Welcome to the Contractor Success Map Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Hart, and I'm an expert on how you can get the most out of your contracting company. The reason I designed this show is to help you turn your contracting company from a people-dependent money pit into a process-dependent cash cow to have the freedom you dreamed of when you start your business. Every Friday, we're releasing podcasts with information to help you get the most out of your contracting company. Be sure to join us at www.contractorsuccessmap.com and subscribe to receive our latest articles and special offers. And the best part, it's all free, just for you. Well, thank you for joining us. This is, my name is Randall Lee Hart, and I am the construction accountant here at Fast Easy Accounting. And today's guest is Sean Cavanaugh. I've known Sean since late 2013, and I trust him. And I find him to be a very knowledgeable and capable in the subject of owning, operating, and growing plumbing and mechanical companies as well as a skilled marketing expert for all contractors. So he's going to give us his story on some of his experiences owning and operating and being involved in a plumbing company. Parts of it are going to be a little bit rough around the edges. It's, it's not bad. It's just a little rough around the edges. Sean's a great guy. He tells it like it is. I have nothing but the utmost respect, and confidence in his abilities. Let's move on to the interview. This is part two of our interview with Sean Cavanaugh. Um, In the meantime, about two years before we closed, I started a a plumbing-only informational website called theplumbinginfo.com. And and I started it with a a web developer that I knew that was building authority websites. And uh, it's simply this. An authority website is uh, is like WebMD. So I decided to do one for plumbing. And quite honestly, it was it was cathartic for me. It was sort of a way to get out of the everyday grind of being a plumbing contractor. You know, I would come home, I would write for two or three hours, and it would kind of get my head out of the out of the game. And I did that for two years. We closed the business um, about a year ago. The web developer that I that I developed my site with hired me on full time. So now, now I do nothing but work for them and manage content for the 235 websites that they authority websites that they own and operate. Excellent. So there's my story. Was Sean, that, I love that. I, I know I'm a big mouth, but but it, that that's it. That that's my story. Um, no, no, you're not a big mouth. Actually, you're somebody who's been down the same path. I've I've heard similar stories over and over and over. Um. I've got a few questions for you. This is great. Right off the bat, Sean, like I said, mm-hmm. this is very common. Everything you've experienced is, is very, very common. And I think the, the biggest problem that a lot of contractors have is that we get confused between friendship and business. And you had mentioned the project manager on the project that was watching the, the time spans and the, the Home Depot and basically nickel and diming. Mm-hmm. Bless your hearts. Um, project managers can be good and bad. Um, I actually have a PMP, so in my dissertation was in process development systems engineering. So I understand it's it's really unfortunate. What what lesson did you learn from working with? I don't want to call it a combative project manager who typically. What you're describing, that PM was paid a percentage on the number of dollars that he saved. Well, no doubt it was a it was a PM that wanted to move up in the company that he was there he was in. I mean, 
And I'm sure that he was a valuable employee for that GC. I'm not going to say that he wasn't. He was a pretty smart guy. The problem was is that there was no spirit of cooperation. Every sub on the job was miserable because they were getting right. beat up every day. And I would, I would not – if that guy were on a – and this was, what, 10, 10 years ago? I would not work for that man to this day if I were working for another another plumbing contractor. So if he were on the job, I would say let's 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 table this this job and move on to something else. So absolutely. So I would not I would not ever work for that particular PM again. Um, so I guess I learned that. I guess that was a valuable lesson. I I also learned that I, I for lack of a better word. Paper the heck out of them. It, it, I know it's time consuming and, you know, plumbing and, and HVAC contracting, you know, mechanical contracting in general is a very time consuming field. So there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of RFIs. There's a lot of change order requests. There's a lot of, you know, 701, 702, 703 forms, a lot of AIA stuff to do. If, mm-hmm. if you make it where they can't back out of that, you have to make everything binding. I, I, I that's a lesson I learned maybe too late. Now, we knew to do it, but because we were juggling so many balls in the air, the, we, we let the ones that were easiest to fall fall. Make sense? Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Well, let, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there are a lot of contractors listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. plumbing contractors and other contractors. I'd like you to address mm-hmm. that plumbing contractor who's listening to this podcast who says, hmm, uh-oh, I think I'm on a project with a project manager or a superintendent or an owner, somebody who's doing the exact same thing to me that happened to Sean Cavanaugh. Now, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself and say, Sean, here's the kind of person you're working with. Here are the steps that you need to take, the exact steps you need to take to stop the hemorrhaging, the financial hemorrhaging, and to get control of the situation. What would you say either to yourself or to that plumbing contractor who's listening to us right now? Well, I think it'd be, this is an easy one. You absolutely do not have, you do not spend one field hour of labor to do any extras without a sign change order. I don't care how, I don't, it's better to leave the change orders go and have them be done by another plumbing contractor than have you not get paid for those stuff that you've done. So I'm telling you that I've learned, you you just flat out refuse to do the change orders unless they are signed and not verification of time only because I've I've been through that. I've been down that road before too. Can you explain that? I understand it. You understand it. Can you just... Devil just briefly. Sure. Um, so, say you've got a change order that you're that you want to that you want to complete, and your guys are chomping at the bit to get it done because the job can't move your your contract job can't move forward until the the change order is finished. So your your PM or your estimator, depending on how your company is run, will write up a, a change order request with material labor breakdown or what they it's an estimate it's what they think it's a it's a it's a wag it's a wild ass guess you know i mean let's face it all Mm -hmm. estimates kind of are but what you have to have is a it's signed in order to proceed okay well 
a lot of us plumbing contractors proceed without getting a signature. But a lot of times what happens is the guys in the field are, they do paperwork for what they know. And those are, you know, um, material tickets or timesheets or stuff like that. But they don't know that if the PM or the superintendent in the field puts verification of time only on the bottom of the of the sheet, that's verifying that the time that they have on that sheet is they, they did they actually spent that time on the project, but it doesn't verify how much that extra was. So if it's four thousand dollars, they the the project manager can always go say I just I was just verifying time. I wasn't verifying the the cost of the of the change order. And I can't tell you how many times that has happened to us over the last 20 years. I mean, it, it happens a lot more. Here's the thing. It happens enough to be very aware of it. So that's kind of how I would explain it. Do not allow yourself to proceed with that work before you have a signed, written change order for that work, no matter how much they pressure you to do it. I think that's the primary takeaway is – do not make any changes or do any change orders without signed authorization and clearly spelled out scope of work. Does that make sense? Do you agree with that? Oh, for sure. And, and the even further on that is is that you let that let that contractor threaten to bring another contractor in to do the work. It's okay. I mean, they're not going to stop doing work with you. I've been through, I mean, I've been through the threats, the scare tactic. It's not, they're not going to stop doing work. They're going to ask you to bid the next job. I can promise you that. You mm -hmm. just flat out refuse to do the work without a signed change order. That's it. Just if they say we're going to bring in, you know, Joe's plumbing down the street, they'd be glad to do the work. Say, you know what? Fine. Bring them in. That's fine. We can work. We work fine with other plumbing contractors. Let them do it. It's again, I would rather let Joe's plumbing contractor not get paid than me not get paid oh very key key point that's what i'm looking for also um let me ask you another question as well in your original contract your boilerplate contract between you and the um the prime or you mm -hmm. and the owner mm -hmm. do you have a clause which is very common across the country which says that if another trade contractor in your case plumbing contractor were to come in that it voids your warranty for everything. Um, here, I, I've put that in my contracts. Yep. So I have that in, I would have that in my contract that if mm -hmm. any other plumbing contractor touches something that I've done, it voids my, it voids my workmanship. Um, and, 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 and if it's my design, if I have the drawing stamped, then I can even make it more, you know, binding. But, but yes, I would have that in mind, but not in the prime contract. I've never seen that in the prime contract. Because no. wouldn't it be self defeating in that in that situation where they they're bringing in another contractor to finish work that you won't do, and then because that other sub is coming in and touching your work, it voids their their warranty on the portion of the work that I did. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Okay. Okay. I just want to be clear that, that, you know, we would have in our contract that if anyone, you know, touches or alters what work I've put in, that it voids the warranty that I gave the general contractor. So just to be clear. Agreed. Agreed. 
the, the big takeaway I'm hearing there, this is so important because as a construction accountant, we see this all the time. Contractors, plumbing contractors, bless your hearts, get a change order signed. End of story. And, Sean, you are so right. They have been down the same path. They will threaten to hire you again. They're going to do anything they can to trash your business. There's all kinds of threats. Mm -hmm. The fact is, if they sign a change order, and I, I trust in your change order, you have payment arrangements laid out. Then you're going to get paid a portion in advance, or you're going to get paid the entire change order on your next billing cycle or something. The fact is, get those change orders signed. End of story. For sure. I, that that is there's nothing more to I, I just I would implore any you know new new contractor new sub uh, you know old ones I mean I again I know they st you're still gonna you're still gonna do it but think about it before you do it because it it can hurt you really bad it really can and just kind of do, uh, do a quick digression a, a very brief story right Go it ahead. was it was about. Um, it was a long time ago. It was actually it was 1991. Okay. We we had a plumbing contracting business, and we were doing um, a mixed-use building. Mm -hmm. It was a four-story building, I believe it was, in Seattle area. And the developer was a real character. He was a very hardball-type developer. We had our contract in place, and he signed our contract, which said the same thing about the change orders. Mm -hmm. And our change order policy was that when a change order is signed – we got half down. Good for you. Now, I, I know a lot of people say you can't do that. Well, you know what? I made an agreement with the banks. I don't loan money. They don't do plumbing. We got half down for our change orders, and when the change order was done, we got paid the other half on our next billing cycle, and we billed every two weeks, every month. Wow. Any, any, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of cash flow. It just so happened that there was the electrical contractor on the same building. Mm -hmm. Nice guy. He was new. Sean, this guy was new in business. Um, been in business maybe, maybe a year and a half, two years. Mm -hmm. And we were chatting at lunch one day. And I asked him, I said, do you have a contract? Well, yeah, I signed their contract. I said, that's that's an AIA contract, which can be a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> yes, they can be. They are, decided, <laughs> they are decidedly one-sided. You are so right. And he had done several change orders during the rough-in phase. Okay. And I asked him, I said, have you been paid? He said, well... We're going to get two draws. We're going to get a draw halfway through after the rough end is written off, and a draw when the trim is in. Yeah. I said, okay, so then what I'm hearing is that you're financing the job. You're part of the banker. You're helping finance the project. And he said, well, yeah, the builder told me, uh, the, the owner of the building said that he didn't have a lot of money, to, and he knew that I could get credit at the supply house. Nice. So he actually told him. He told, he him. told him that. I mean, he, uh, yeah, you got to give him credit for being honest, right? Yeah, and so I, I told the electrician, I said, we need to go for a little drive. So I put my car, went for a little drive within like a 15-block radius, and I pointed out several buildings. This owner, this contract, this um, building owner owned mm -hmm. outright. Yep. So I said, you've got to understand, you need to get your money, because if you don't get your money, you're going to be in a bind, and this guy will hurt you to the point and then he won't pay you until you get rough with him legally with your attorney. Mm -hmm. This is just who he is. Okay, this is just his nature. The electrician, bless his heart, he didn't believe me. 
he would not believe me. And I kept getting on his case about getting change orders. Mm-hmm. And finally one day I saw a change. Sean, I saw a literal shift in his thinking, a paradigm shift. I saw it in his eyes. That was on a Friday. And I tried to tell him, I said, are you having a problem? He says, yeah. He said, you know what, Randall? He says, I'm on the verge of bankruptcy. Um, I can't get any more material of my supplier until I get some money to them. Um, my house is in difficulty. My wife and kids are having some financial problems. I said, I looked him square in the eye and said, listen, I know what you're thinking. I have, I have more degrees than a thermometer. I know exactly what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, don't do it. He said, what am I thinking? I said, you and I both know what you're thinking. Don't do it. Let me help you. I, I've got attorneys. I have attorneys on, on retainer. And next week, we'll get it worked out. We'll get you some cash. He turned and walked away. That's the last anybody ever saw him. That weekend, he ate his 9 millimeter. Heard a lot. That's it's a uh, Randall. We've you know. I mean, you know, Chicago hasn't been the best in the last seven years or so. There's been no. a lot of contractors that have done that. I mean, uh, it's you know, we're talking about it's ins- yeah. It's insane. Let me just finish up. I'm really brief. Yeah. The following Monday, every Monday, um, we had a meeting with the GC and reviewed the, the, the problems and issues. We just kind of had a, a, a real brief 15 minute meeting to de- determine what needs to be done that following week. The owner of the building came walking in with a spring in his step, a big smile on his face. I just saved X amount of dollars because I don't have to pay the level of the contractor. Because in the city of Washington, if a contractor goes out of business, I think it's in the states too, if a contractor goes out of business, they no longer can collect the money legally. Because the guy is gone, he's out of business, his widow had no clue how to run the business the mm-hmm. owner was thrilled beyond belief that's and i uh, i turned to the rest of the subs i said ladies and gentlemen let us wake up and smell the coffee this is exactly who we're dealing with when i say get your change order sign get your money i mean get your change order sign get your money so I'm a big fan of this sort of thing. And what, what actually pushed this guy to the edge, and a lot of people, is the change orders. He did a ton of change orders. Mm-hmm. And he got strung out. And you're right. Chicago, same type of thing. Um, always protect – I don't care who it is. Always protect your lien rights as well. Um, that is – Absolutely. There's no um, – they, they, they're not going to stop working with you either if you lien the project. That's I've, so I've heard, true. I've heard that song and dance. 25 times in my life too. If you lean the project work, you know, you're not going to get any future work or blah, blah, blah. It's, it's nonsense. It's ridiculous. Uh, you know, you, all you're doing is protecting what you're, what's owed to you. Don't ever, don't ever let your lean, lean rights lapse ever. If it's beyond 30 days, well, I don't know what you're, you know, we're talking to a ton of States here. So each, each state is different with their lean laws, but, mm-hmm. but make sure that they, that they're enforced because you'll lose, you'll lose them and you'll lose the money. John, you're so right. You're so right. And just a, a quick word of advice to anybody who's listening to the call, and regardless what state you're in, um, if you haven't, uh, you, you're not getting paid, run, don't walk, run, and file that lien. 
and this is an absolute fact, if, you're, if the contractor is close enough to the front of the line, and let's say it's a project that has a construction loan of, say, $2 million. Just pick up a number here. Mm-hmm. And if the construction project is, say, halfway through, it has a market value right there of probably $3 million. If the contractor will file his or her lien immediately, and they don't need a lot of money. Right. But more often than not, they can go to the banks and other legitimate lending institutions and angel investors who will fund the money to begin foreclosure proceedings. See, that's that's a key, Randall, because um, most most subs, especially small subs, they'll file the lien. They'll file the intent and the lien, but they can't, but they don't have the money to to start the foreclosure process on the on the property. So that's I mean that's a, a something I've run into several times myself. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's you know it's six hundred dollars to to do the lien, right? But it's ten thousand to start for you know the foreclosure process. And so you telling me that is a completely new piece of information for me. I, I did not know that. That's something that we, would, we should talk about in more in depth, whether it's here or, you know, in some article that we write. Uh, that's, that's, we'll definitely do that. Um, I have done that several times. Okay. And there's nothing that wakes people up quicker than realizing that their entire building is being foreclosed on. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I mean, there's, I, I know it sounds kind of cynical but that makes me smile it's not cynical it makes you smile too yeah it makes me smile a lot when a when a uh, an electrical contractor that's got a fifty thousand dollar you know project that he isn't getting paid for forecloses on a on a four million dollar building i love it that Mm makes that makes me smile now what typically happens we'll go more detail later what typically happens is the investor the banker whoever they're typically they don't actually foreclose all the way what does happen is that the owner of the building is hurt so much financially, paying off the fees, the legal fees, and everything else involved, that they never, ever mess with that electrician or plumber or anybody else on that project ever again. And we've, we've taken it many times to that level. We have the resources. And you're right, Sean. They, they'll hire you in the next job. You know, sometimes... This is going to sound nuts, but I've had occasions where we have leaned and and gone and gotten really tough with them, and they treat me better for the rest of the the relationship. They do. Yes, I have had that happen on several occasions. Sometimes they sometimes they think I'm a, a jerk, but but there have been several occasions where they've been like, okay, well I know this guy's playing. You know, he's cooking with some gas, so we're going to leave him alone. <laughs> leave him alone. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. There was, um, there was a president in the 1980s who had a wonderful phrase I loved. He called it peace through strength. Like Sean says, help the contractor understand you need to get paid. And it's so funny because once you get, to, you get paid, you'll always, this is bizarre. Did you see this? You always get paid in the future. They may play with the other subs, but they are always going to pay the plumber. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and again, there have been times where I've I've felt you know despair because uh, uh, the contractor. I, I'll give you a, a quick example of a of 
something you may be dealing with if you're a, a you know a sub, and that could be any sub. It could be a bricklayer, it could be a you know concrete guy, masonry. It doesn't doesn't matter. But I ha- I got a letter from a GC that I that I worked for that said you know due to the economic downturn, we like to align ourselves with the you know the best and brightest subcontractors in the Chicagoland area, um, and because of that. We would like a financial statement from you and a letter from your bank uh, telling us your line of credit and how long you've been into it and, you know, when it's been paid off last. And because we ask you that, here is a line or here is a a letter from our bank that um, shows our standing with our, you know, with our financial institution. And in the back of it, it said, you know, blah, 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 sub, you know, GC has been a you know customer for 28 years in the Chicagoland area. They have a high eight-figure line of credit, uh, of which they've never gone into to borrow against. And as you can, was it, is it eight figure? Yeah, I think about eight figures. Maybe hey. not. Maybe seven figures. Maybe seven. But anyway, um, they they've never been into their line basically. And well, I turned to my father and I said, they're not asking for financial help. help health of subcontractors they're asking for their their next step in their in their borrowing power so they're 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 looking at their subs and seeing who they can borrow the most money from to do their project because i had never ever not gone into the line to pay for bills on one of their projects never ever not not ever so so what they were doing is they were seeing the subcontractors in every discipline seeing how much they could borrow from those subs so they could finance their projects. And Sean, you were so right. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm sure that they're not the only one. Would you agree with me on that? Oh, John, I agree completely. Anytime a contractor is asked for the financial statements and and the information in the bank, please, please, please don't give it. Yeah, don't give it to them. They're still going to ask you to. Uh, once again, they're still going to ask you to bid. I didn't. I didn't give provide that information to them, and I still got Good. work for them for the next year and a half. So, it's ridiculous because they they they'll say that they're not going to give you work. They're not going to put you on the bidders list. It's nonsense. If you do good work, they're still going to give you the opportunity. So just don't give it to them. Absolutely. Well, Sean, do do you have some uh, any words of wisdom that you can share with us from your experiences? I do. I do. I, I have some things that kind of stick in my head that I would. These are some things that I wouldn't do if if I ever owned a contracting business again, which I don't know that I would. I'm a little bit gun shy, having had two years of of completely being removed from it. But I I personally would never ever do another job that I can't pay for myself. So if I were growing and and I was making the margins that I need to run my business. I would never finance myself or the company to do an, to finance another job to grow. So I understand that, that, the, that you need banks and business loans. Um, but what I would say is that you need a really good accounting partner like my guy, Randall, to tell you if it's the right time to do it or if you're financially able to do it. I, I have a couple of really successful contracting friends and they have lines of credit. But what they'll do is they'll never go over, they'll never do a job that they can't take and pay cash for. They may have that, they may have that, uh, that, that line of credit to buy a piece of equipment or 
something that would um, increase production, but they would never use it to finance the project. Perfect. So that's one thing I would totally recommend doing is do not, I mean, and, and I did it. I took the line of credit because that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And I say we, meaning the people that I knew, but I'm pretty positive that there are people that didn't do it that way too. And they may still be doing, you know, still working. So um, my next, my b- next bit of advice would be if you can't play, pay your payroll taxes, it's probably a really good time to think about shutting the business down before it gets out of hand. Either that, I mean, you just, if you can't pay, I'm going to say this again, if you can't pay your payroll taxes, it may be a real good time to think about shutting the business down before it gets out of hand because you're better off stopping it at $20,000 and letting, and, and just paying it off at, you know, paying the IRS off a hundred dollars a month than getting up to a half a million dollars where it's, it affects your, your family and the future of your family. Because I, I look at it this way. Um, if a, if a gentleman goes out of business and he owes the IRS a half a million dollars and can't seem to work something out with them and they can be, they can, they do work things out with people. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say they don't, but if they don't, and that person does really well in five years and they want to start putting away money for college for their kids and the IRS comes back to them, if the, if the limitations haven't run out on collections, they can take that extra five to say at $700 that they plan on using for their kid's college fund and take it for themselves. And now you've not only affected that person's you know, household, but you've affected the next generation of that person's family as well. So Absolutely. It, it's, it go, it, it's a generational hindrance. So stop it if you can. You, you are so right. Can I just put a quick caveat sure. in? Go for it. We have a lot. We have a lot of contractors across the country. We do their outsource bookkeeping and accounting for. And I can't tell you. I mean, contractors have contacted us and said we're in trouble with their employment taxes. What are you describing? And Sherry's actually a tax accountant, and I cannot tell you the number of times that Sherry has worked with the contractor and with the IRS. And believe me, this is going to sound funny. But the IRS, if and, – and the state – we've worked with a lot of state agencies. Mm-hmm. Every agency, IRS, state, federal, and local agency we've ever dealt with, if the contractor can find an intermediary, find an accountant, find us, find somebody local, it doesn't matter. The, the tax agencies are very, very workable. They really, truly are. They will work with you. The key is get an intermediary who is not emotionally involved, and they'll work with you. Because at the end of the day, there's an old phrase I like to use. The pig gets fed, the hog gets slaughtered. Mm -hmm. Now, it's kind of rough, but the taxing agency knows it's better to get $100 a month than to get zero. They honestly will work with contractors. Now, where you hear these horror stories, the IRS or some other agency does not work with the contractor and causes all kinds of grief and really comes down hard, that only happens after the taxing agency has done everything in their power to work something out, and the contractor has just been totally belligerent repeatedly 
So I'm with you 100%. can't pay taxes, shut down, but just know that the tax agencies get an intermediary, and you'd be surprised they will work with you. Yeah, you know, and again, i, I got to tell you that having some experience in this area, they they are not – I've not yet found any one to like this, to like to do this to someone that that doesn't ask for it. Does that make sense? So, yes. so if if a if a if a you know revenue officer comes to a house that has and I'm I'm speaking completely hypothetically here, if a if a revenue officer comes to the house and you have a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar house with a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar C Ray in the driveway and a Mercedes, um, that tends to you know they tend to look at that like well you can sell the Mercedes or you can sell the boat not even the Mercedes you can sell the boat to pay some of this off um if you they don't take what you can't pay them does that make sense that's that's so true you're 100 right so so if the, you know if if you are truly hurting they do work they do work with you so mm-hmm. um it's the people that hide things that they really get nasty with so right you know that that's what i've you know that's that's my take on things and again you're in contracting i think we lost 42% of our signatory contractors in the Chicagoland area in the last seven years, 42% are out of business. I, there may be more. Um, you can imagine that that people talk and everybody's got kind of the same situation. So um, this is coming from, from you know intimate knowledge of how that works. No, you're absolutely right. You are so right. So my next, my next words of wisdom I would say is don't ever be afraid to ask for your money. Um, you provided a service. You deserve to get paid on time with, within your terms. So don't ever be, you know, I know how, I know how that, that feeling, that sick feeling in your stomach, when, especially when you're working for maybe a, a smaller GC or, you know, they haven't paid you in 45 days and you feel uncomfortable hounding the crap out of them to get paid. You, it's uncomfortable. You feel like you're bothering them to ask for the money that you earned. Do, do you know you talked about a paradigm shift, Randall? Make, you know, if you need to see a therapist now to get over that sick feeling of asking for your money, go and get, talk to someone about it S- seriously because mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. You've earned the money; you deserve to get paid for it. Um, so I would say, don't ever be afraid to ask for the money that you've earned. So that's that's my next thing, and I know you feel the same way, Randall. Oh, I totally, I, John, you're one hundred percent. We're 100% agree on this. Um, I guess my uh, second to last is never, ever run your business to run your home. Does that make sense? Oh, more than you know. Okay. So, you know, I see a ton of contractors out there, especially now because there are so many small ones. I see a ton of them pricing themselves in a way so they can make their mortgage payment, their car payment, their insurance payment. They, they treat their household as their business instead of the business as a business. So um, I would say don't ever go into business to do that. You, if, if, you're, if you treat the business to run on its own, your household will also run, run smoothly. Mm-hmm. You, oh, wanna... you are so right. Okay. All right. So, I, again, I, I just – there's so many guys out there doing it, and I, I – again, I talk to them, and I'm not – 
I, you know, you know, we know each other, Randall. You know, I want to help contractors not make the same mistakes I've made. So, um, I, I tell them, I'm like, what do you, you know, what are you charging per hour? They tell me, I'm like, well, how in the world, how in the world do you pay for anything other than your wife's minivan and your mortgage and your insurance and your food with the money that you charge for your, for your services? Well, you know, I'm doing okay. I'm doing, I'm, I said, okay, what's going to happen? When your van that you're racking up the miles on right now, when that breaks, where does the money come from to replace that van? And I hear silence. I said, Absolutely. How, about your, how about your pipe wrenches in that? What, what happens when that, those tools, that, that K1500 rotter that you paid you know, $1,200 for, what happens when the, the jaws break and that, the, engine, you know, the, the, the motor blows? And the, what, what, who pays for that? Who, who's going to pay for that? Well, guess what? You know who pays for it? His wife, his, you know, the daughter, the, the son, because what that is, is that, that, that new loan payment for the van and the, and the money he takes out of the paycheck to pay for the, for the tools that comes out of what, his family household money. It doesn't come out of the business. It comes out of his, out of his household. So again, I think that they should all, you, all, everyone has to think about what, how, in your in you know outside of your profit, it, what your costs are to replace the things that you are going to use in a normal business day. Sean, you are so right. You are so absolutely right. Can I throw in one quick caveat? Yeah, uh, we, we run across this frequently, and I, I counsel, we counsel our contract clients all the time. Cross country doesn't matter. Never ever run your business out of your home for another reason. Have you ever run a business out of your home, contracting business? Um, we ran Cavanaugh Plumbing out of my mom and dad's house for two, about 18 months to two years. Then we went into a shop. Did you ever have a situation where an employee would show up unannounced to discuss whatever? <laughs> oh, come on. You know it. I mean, this is a rhetorical question. You know the answer to it. Yes, of course. I do. I do. Of course. Um Case in point, um, we live in a, a community that has, you know, security, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And I never tell people where I live. But this is because years ago, back in the uh, late '80s, we had a, con a contracting business, and like a like a, a good neighbor, we actually ran out of our house for a very short while. Mm -hmm. We had several situations. Now, picture this, you know. You and I are about the same size. I'm, I'm six foot and 275 mm -hmm. you know, pounds. I'm kind of a big guy, and I, I work out a little bit and have a good time. Mm -hmm. my, my wife, bless her heart, it, it does this just figure. She's five foot mm -hmm. and proportional. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, at the time, we had a small baby, and I'm working, and one of our employees, who I had to let go, decided to show up after having fortified himself with some adult beverages. I've had it happen. Yep. And let me tell you, that was scary. Now, I got it all solved, and mm -hmm. we, he and I had a, uh, a chat, and mm -hmm. we communicated, and it never happened again. Mm -hmm. End of story. Shortly after, we had a customer who did some work for, similar situation. He also was displeased. It's funny, because when something happens at 2 o'clock in the morning, he gets in a plumber, and i got to pay him double time. The fee is a little bit more than it is the following day 
when the sun is shining and you're calling every contractor in town. Of course. So then this fellow showed up, and in fact, he thought because he knew I was I'm a big guy, and he was more I want to say uh, you know maybe five 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 six, maybe half my weight. Mm-hmm. So he decided to show up with an equalizer. He brought two friends, Smith and Wesson. Oh boy. I wasn't home. Wife dealt with it. She took care of it, got things calmed down, called the police, filed a report. Of course, these things happened. It all unfolded. That was the end. Now, we've had a lot of other situations occur where people drop by. I tell the employees, you know what? When I'm home at night and on the weekends, leave me alone. Okay? I like to go uh, see sporting events. I like to watch TV. I like to just relax. I'm not interested in having you come by. Well, employees always come by your house. Um, vendors, suppliers, customers always come by your house. It drives people crazy. But the most important thing to bear in mind is there's a lot of whack jobs out there. Mm-hmm. And they do go by contractors' houses. We have a contractor here locally. I told him the same thing for several times. It was like uh, Charlie Brown, wah, wah, wah. Quit running out of your house. Go down and get a private mailbox at the UPS store. Get a private mailbox somewhere else. Just don't run out of your house. Um, he did. A couple of his employees he had to let go showed up to his place. They brought friends. It turned very, very ugly. So in addition to what you're saying, I encourage all contractors listening to this podcast, do not run your business out of your house. You're putting your family and yourself at risk. Not only that, I believe that especially in the, you know I, I work out of a, a virtual office right now, but it when a con, when you're when you're a contractor, mm-hmm. um, you know our days are our days are long. They're they're five in the morning till you know sometimes eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. Um, right. If, if you're working out of your house, you're never away from your from your business. Never. Oh, you're so right. So I, I would suggest. To, to everybody that that you act like it's a business and run it out of a, a, a small shop. I mean, I, I can tell you right now out of a very nice, you know, I live in a pretty nice area on the South in the South suburbs of Chicago and mm-hmm. you can run, you can, you can rent 2000 square feet of space for, you know, $1,500. It's not a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's not, I mean, you don't have to furnish it. You can put a desk, a computer, a printer, and 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 a couple of rotters in the back. It doesn't have to be, you know, a ton of dough to, to rent a building. And again, we're not. I'm not in a low rent district, so you know, it's not it's not that disruptive to do it financially. You're right, and, and we see it over and over and over. When when a person moves, a contractor moves their shop to a location like you're describing, two thousand square feet, fifteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. When they move to that location, it also causes a paradigm shift in their own mind. And now suddenly they feel like they're worth more, they charge more, and I can watch their bottom line or P&L. It goes up. That's weird. That's a that's really unique. I never thought of it in that, from that perspective. I they, they now say to themselves, okay, I'm not paying for my house anymore. I'm paying for the building. I'm paying for the mm-hmm. lights and the heat and the rent. So right, that, right. So therefore, I must put more money on the bottom line, you know, on the job to pay for that. Exactly. It's interesting. It's really interesting that you, that you can actually, you can get empirical data from how many contractors you've done to actually see that work. That's, that's neat. That's really cool. And the other thing we do too, is like 
I coach my contractors in our coaching sessions. I tell them when you go out and give a bid or a quote or anything, let them know. Now, give them a balloon and say, Mr. Homeowner, Mr. Billing Owner, Commercial, there it is. I know that you're an intelligent person, and whatever you do, make sure that whoever you hire to do this work is a legitimate contractor. And by that, I mean two things. They're licensed, and they have a real shop. Yes. You do not want to hire somebody working out of their house because they're amateurs. For sure. And, you know. The we, truth is they're not amateurs, okay? No. And what, what that is, that's a, that's a marketing position because now the contractor and homeowners especially will be sure to ask the next person come in, well, where is your shop located? Well, I work at my home. And that's why their their pricing goes up because now we've given the, the customer um, a new level of confidence to ask for. <clears throat> you know that, that – um... I know you've seen that I do work a little bit of work with Joe Crisera, who I who I think the world of. He's out your way. He's a he's a Chicago guy that works out of the West Coast, and um, I was a, you know I was a T and M guy. Um, okay. I, that's I was a T and M shop when we were at Litvin. I was a T and M shop at Cavanaugh Plumbing, and I never understood the flat rate kind of mentality until Joe explained to me. How that, how and why they do things, and again, you know, Frank Blau has done this for a long time. This is not a new concept, but even if you're a T&M shop, even if you, even if you just do T&M work, you should at least be aware of why and how a flat rate pricing guide or or how a flat rate contractor comes to his prices, because it will open up your eyes to things that you did not know that those little things that they add to their dollars. In order to in order to make more money for themselves and alleviate the stress of buying a new piece of equipment or or doing advertising or or you know replacing trucks every three years, those concepts are inside of flat rate. So I, again, I would I would strongly urge TM contractors to at least read or make themselves aware of how flat rate works. You know, I totally agree. I'm a big fan of Frank Blau. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I got a lot of training from Frank Blau back in the day. And, and with all due respect to Frank Blau, I just love the guy immensely. Mm-hmm. But with all due respect to Frank Blau, mm-hmm. I completely agree. Joker Sierra is the guy. He's my, he, under, he, he understands contracting. And I absolutely agree. All contractors should tap into Joker Sierra's well of knowledge and really like you're saying focus in on what joe says about flat rate if they if they just tapped into joker sierra and just got the flat rate which you you and i understand mm-hmm. it's worth every dime well 10 times over well here's the you know the thing about joe and i again he knew who i i mean he knew that i was a former contractor when i went to when i went into his i've done his i've done his seminar twice and mm-hmm. he Joe Joe can be really brutally honest. I mean, he's not going to pet you and make you feel warm and fuzzy while you're no. there. And I I really appreciated that because I'm mm-hmm. you know I just I guess I'd rather someone you know tell me how it is than than you know sugarcoat it. And he's not going to. And you can walk out of his 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 seminars and go, this guy's full full of beans. I mean, you don't have. 
But I, I'm going to tell you something. If you open up your mind to, to what he does, you don't have to use everything. Although I implore you to use everything if that's if you're going to do residential service. But um, he really understands the business, and and he is like us, uh, Randall and I, very much like us because he did it the other way before and didn't make any money doing it Do you, or made very little money and had headaches and all those things that come along with it. Um, he did it before. So he can, he can pinpoint to what we're, we, what we've been talking about this whole entire time. He can go, here's where I did it. Here's why I changed it. You know, here's what's happened since then. And, and, and here's how I sold the business when I wanted to sell it to make money. So, um, Joe's great. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't meant to be a plug for Joe, but I, I do, I, he is my guy. We call him Uncle Joe, so he's very good at what he does. Oh, I'm totally in favor. Yeah, a plug for Joe is great. Uh, Joe is a tremendous asset to the contracting industry. For sure. Um, the, I guess the last words of wisdom, and I, I, again, I think, Randall, I, can, I figured out that we could probably do this for you know three hours if we really wanted to, but I would, I would never let and again, this is this is this is being able to sit back and and look back on what I've done and from like a bird's eye view and see where I've made some mistakes. You, you have you ever had an employee that does something really really well? I mean, they they just they can push a job or they can um, they can do great drawings. Say they're they are draftsmen and they can you know they can work in the field and then they can come in and they can do draft work you know you know drafts work for you. But, mm-hmm. but they're an absolute pain in the ass at, at every other aspect of their existence. Right. You know what I'm saying? They break phones. Their paperwork sucks. They, they, you know, they, they, they wreck cars. They, they're just, they're a pain, but they're so good at what they do that you forgive everything bad that they do. I would, again, I would urge everybody, get rid of the person sooner than late, rather than later. You are so right. You are so right. And a lot of that stems back. There's a, there are some deep psychological issues with that person that we can't solve. Yes. When you're talking about an employee who, who understands something in a very deep level mm-hmm. so that they can counteract it by being disruptive, when you're talking about being destructive, when they destroy phones, they destroy equipment, and that sort of thing, I guarantee you, and I have a reason for this, I won't go into it, but I guarantee you, They've had an abusive father. Really? If, yeah. Well, you're getting yeah, psychologically I, deep on us, Randall. Well, I've got more degrees in the thermometer. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I really do. So I know what that is. The root cause, 99.999% of the time, if they are destroying equipment, if you're destroying um, physical objects. Right. More often than not, it was an abusive father, and that abuse can be any one of a number of different things. If you have an employee that is disruptive psychologically, they want to stir the pot. It's called, the clinical term is called, let's you and he fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if a person, an employee is, is disturbing in a psychological ways, if they're undermining if they have tremendous issues um, with passive-aggressive behavior, I can tell you exactly what that boils down to, 99% of the time. They were abused, more often than not, psychologically by their mother. That's really interesting. And I know plenty of passive-aggressive people. Now I can, now I can give them a shot. 
I can I can say, yeah. you know, you you your mom messed with you, didn't she? Then I can get real deep on them and, and give them a shot. Because I I'm, um, I'm more of a I'm more of a stone breaker than anything. Well, be careful. <laughs> I know. Okay. Yeah, uh, Sean, be very careful. If you ever do that, I'm just giving you a, a quick digression. If you ever do that, you want to do it in private and not in a public place. I don't think I would. Honestly, Randall, I don't think I would ever do it anyway. I mean, I, do like, if to, I do like to break balls a little bit, but I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you can break balls. That's fine. I'm just telling you that I have experience in this in Serena. You would never do it in a public place. The best place to do it would be in an office setting or something that was um, somewhat uh, private. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not careful, you're gonna you're gonna open up the maws. You hear the maws? The M O A S. No. It's called the mother of all secrets. Okay. We all have a mother of all secrets. Everybody does. Interesting. Okay. See. Um, my mother of all secrets, you already figured it out, was I got that speeding ticket back in 1991. I'm still mad about it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that's you're not like it. Freaking, you're like a – what, do you have a halo? <laughs> no, that's that's my uh, my diversion. That's not my, my moz. Everybody has a moz. Yeah. And if you're not careful, if you actually do open up somebody's moz, mm-hmm. okay, either accidentally or on purpose, then what's called the amygdala – which is a yep. fight or flight, yep. the, the lizard brain, mm-hmm. the lizard brain, that person will go into absolute Neanderthal mode. I've seen it happen. They'll get totally physical. No matter how big they are, it doesn't matter. They get, they'll either go into a fight, and I mean a serious physical confrontation, a fight mode or a flight mode. And they go into a flight mode. They'll get emotional. They'll break down. They go ballistic, and that's not so bad. That you can work with. Yeah, but the fighting thing is is, a, is an issue, and I, uh, yeah, th- those are yeah, those are. D- I mean, back in the day, sure. Now, oh. mm, I don't feel like it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's like what I'm going to share that with you for what it's worth. But uh, yeah, you've got it. Okay, um, I'm going to cut this out and go to the next section. You have uh, something. I'm going to ask you the, the question here. Okay. Sean, tell us a little bit about, I understand that you're a contractor and you're a tremendous resource for contractors, and I really appreciate you for that. But tell me, what have you, give me a little more information about what you've been doing since you left the contracting industry. Okay. So I work for, I, you know, I said in the beginning, I work for a company called Today's Growth Consultant. And Today's Growth Consultant builds, they're kind of a hybrid marketing web development company. So they work with industry experts. So it could be plumbing, it could be, you know, optometry, it could be dentistry, it could be anything you want. It could be accounting. And what they do is they partner with industry experts to build an authority website around their expertise. And then they use that website to either promote their own, their own product, their own business. Um, they, you know, there's ad revenue, there's directory pages, there's a lot of ways to monetize a site once it has enough traffic. Um, there's another side of the company called Income Store, and Income Store is more of an investment side of the business. So say you wanted to, you had $40,000 to invest in a, in, a, in a business. Income Store would buy you a website, a gen, a, an income generating website based upon some calculations 
to give you a like between an 18 and a 22% return on your money. That is an awesome side of the business. I do not particularly work on that side. I manage content flow for 235 authority sites. So I guess, I mean, I hate to say an I'm SEO guy because I'm really not. That's not what, it's not a formal training of mine, although I do some of it. But what I would do is I build relationships with people who provide content. So say a plumbing contractor wanted to grow their organic traffic in their area. I would do, you know, they would obviously pay us as a company. Um, I would do keyword silos for them, um, tell them about how to write, how to, to H2 tag, H3 tag. I would give them, you know, pointers on, on how to write a piece of content that, that is relevant for their area. We would grow their organic. I'm, I'm, again, I'm really paraphrasing here, but we would grow their organic search in their area and, and nationwide because that's going to happen with just having more content um, in their, in their website. And um, then I would, I would use one of my authority sites in this case, plumbing, I would plop a piece of content onto my site and then I would market that piece of content for them. Um, so every once in a while, what, what that does, it does two things, gives them a piece of content on a really reputable site. And it also builds up author rank. And I, you know, you, you know about that, you know about Google plus and how, how Google, um, treats authorship and, and how um, it's triangulated between uh, Google Plus, uh, a web page, and content. So that's what we do. That's kind of what I do all day is I manage content. I manage um, authors and, and content providers, and I plug them into the sites that we have, the 235 sites. It's a, it's a lot of fun. And again, I will, I'm free for consultation if you, if you ever wanted to pick my brain about about what to do in a certain area. And then obviously if it gets into more in-depth stuff, um, you know, we we're we're open to consult for a fee too. Excellent. So how can we, how can we use this for a contractor? So there's a con- contractor who's listening to us right now mm-hmm. and that contractor can be anything. It can be plumbing, electrical, general <laughs> contractor, remodeler, tenant improvement, doesn't matter. How can you help that contractor with what you do? Well, the first thing is I would I could I would educate them on. A, there's a ton of people that think that just because they put up a website that gives people a place to go to get their number or their email address, I would give them an education on on the importance of having dynamic content on a site. And when I say say dynamic content, I'm talking relevant stuff written by a professional. So I would provide either either I would I would instruct on how to write that content for themselves. Okay. Or, or they could pay us to, to have that content written. And then we would, we would push that content out to the masses. So we would, we'd make sure that it's on dig, Reddit, stumble upon Facebook, Twitter. We would make sure to do a social push for those things. But basically what I would do is I would, I would just instruct them on how to write. Um, and then I would push that content for them. Um, it, again, little more in depth than that. That's a really, you know, it's a really short description, but that's how it's, that's how it works. And um, contractors in general don't understand the importance of, of continual content. They, again, they fight it. And, and I, I'm one of these guys that believes that they fight it because number one, it takes time to do it. But number two, they're so um, hung up on traditional advertising. So most guys think, okay, 
I've got a $10,000 a year ad budget. And if I spend it on these ads, whether they be in Yellow Book or Yellow Pages or Home Pages or, you know, a local, you know, color glossy, you know, coupon book or whatever, I'm going to see this many people and I'm going to get this return on that $10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that whole you talk about paradigm shift that whole way of thinking has to change you can no longer write a piece of content for what you think you're going to get for it in a week a month two months you've got to write content for what happens in six months nine months a year and again right. it's been very very difficult for me to to uh to get through to certain contractors because they just don't understand it. They don't understand the concept, but you cannot put a Facebook post, a Twitter post, um, a real piece of content out there for what you, it can't be. What, what, what are you going to do for me tomorrow? It's got to be, what are you going to, what's it going to do long-term for me? So we try to explain that to people and, and it works. It's worked very well. And again, sometimes it takes a real shift in, in focus on how things work now. But once you do get it, once you buy into it, I haven't seen it fail. So, again, there's many ways to, you know, a lot of a lot of plumbing contractors I've seen hire, um, I guess, someone that they think is like us. And that person has ghostwriters that they that they have, you know, I don't know where they live or who they have. Right. But it's, you know, a plumber reading it knows that it's not another plumber writing it. Right. I. I very much, I'm very much against that type of content. I'm not saying you can't use it for a filler every once in a while, but 85% of your content on your site should be, should be written by an expert, even if you have to pay the expert to write it. Oh, I so agree. I so agree. Well, Sean, we're going to wrap this up, but can you provide us and please speak slowly because sometimes uh, some of us write slow. Mm -hmm. Can you give us your full contact information? So, that if a contractor wants to get a hold of you, how do they contact you? Okay. You can catch me on, here is my company email address. It's S Kavanaugh and it's K-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H at todaysgrowth.com. And you can also catch me on my cell at 815 815- Six four one zero nine three one, and everyone can find me on Facebook if they put in Sean Cavanaugh. You can Google me. Um, the the beauty of having Google Plus and authorship, and we can all talk about that. The beauty of having it is if you type my name in, you're gonna you're gonna see my face next to my name somewhere. So um, that's how you can contact me. And again, I I'd appreciate it. I I love talking to contractors about you know, issues that they may have or, or marketing plans and, and, and whatnot. I, I always give people my time. Excellent. Well, Sean, I surely appreciate you taking the time here for this podcast and we look forward to having you back sometime in the future. Thank you, Randall. I had a blast. It's always good to talk to you and thank you for everything you've done for me as well. Excellent, Sean. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye for now. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on how to turn your contracting company into a process-dependent cash cow. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Contractor Success Map. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating and review here on iTunes. And make sure to head over to www.contractorsuccessmap.com to subscribe to receive the latest articles and special offers. 
If you'd like to discuss your business strategy, simply click on the button labeled Strategy Session. And the best part, it's all free, just for you.